0: Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everybody. This is Howard Fox. We are back for another episode of the Success Insight podcast. My guest today is Leon Jones, or as folks down in the country where we're going to have a little chat about, call him. Senor Leo. Now, Leon was a successful Atlanta businessman, having been in the book publishing space for many years. But in 1998, the course of his life changed after a nonprofit, the LifeLink Network for Children, I don't know if they're still around, I suspect they're not, asked him to accompany them on a trip to Peru. He soon found that God had a new path for him. Now, we're going to let Senor Leo share his story, but we also want to let you know that he's an accomplished author. He's written a number of books for Peruvian Jones Publishing, including Are You Up There, Mr. Jesus? All Are Precious in His Sight, which was published in 2016, Searching for the Virgin Mary, published in 2019, and Miracle in Peru, Odyssey of the Reluctant Disciple. I suspect that reluctant disciple is Senor Leo. Leon, welcome to the Success Insight podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Howard. Glad to be with you.
0: I was so glad when you called the other day. This the idea of wanting to talk about the books that you published and the travels. And when you said Peru, I have to share in the spirit of full disclosure, I'm a coffee mm-hmm. lover and I love roasting my own coffee and literally... This week, I broke open a bag of green coffee beans to roast, and they're from Peru. So there's got to be something, (laughs) some karma at play here. So I really want to thank you for your time. And I want to hear this story. So, you know, you were in the publishing business and kind of... Tell us, how'd you get down to Peru? Let's, let's hear what this is all about.
1: Well, Howard, in, in 1998, I, in addition to having my publishing company, I also did freelance editing, and I was making more money than I ever made in my life. But I was not happy, and I wanted to have some happiness. Now, at the time, I, I was going to a unity church, and the woman minister there I had some tapes, and she concentrated on telling us to find your bliss find something that makes you happy and then go for it. At the same time, Howard, I was reading a book by Deepak Chopra called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. And I wanted to be happy. I wanted to be really successful, not just in making money, but in in life in general. So I started working the steps of this book. And so when Pierre, a friend of mine, came to me one day and said, Leon, I belong to a group called LifeLink Network for Children, and we want to go to Peru to ascertain the needs of Indian children in three separate towns. The mountain town of Ayacucho, also another mountain town of Cusco, which is the capital of the Inca civilization, okay. and also to a jungle town in Iquitos. And I was reluctant to go. I, okay. I, I had things to do.
0: So the reluctance was just, I'm too busy, too many things I got to get done?
1: Yeah, I had, to, I had to make some more money, Howard. I wanted to make more money. So what I did is I reluctantly went, but I was determined not to enjoy myself. So when we finally went to Peru, we went to the first time we visited was Ayacucho. And the people were friendly and they were poor and blah, blah, blah. And, and one day on a on trip up the mountain, we were in a private bus and the group had started to bond. And everybody had a nickname. One lady was called, she was a CNN reporter. And because she was familiar with a uh, country-western singer, they call it Yahoo. Mm-hmm. And my friend Pierre, who was a retired judge, they called him the judge. And someone asked Pierre, what about a, a nickname for Leon? Then there was silence on the bus. Mm-hmm. And finally, Pierre said, let's call him Grumpy. And the bus exploded with laughter. But I I persevered, and we spent some time up in the mountains uh, working with the Indian people there. And the next day, we went to Cusco. So it was while we were visiting an orphanage in Cusco, and I saw how poor those girls were. I don't
0: think we realize here in the US. We look at, you know, I live in Chicago. You were living in Atlanta, and you're somewhere else in the United States as we're having this conversation today. Right. And there are poor areas here in Chicago. And it doesn't take me but five minutes to get to one of those areas. And Mm -hmm. we look at it, perhaps we thumb our nose at it, we try to avoid it, don't think about it. But you know, just going into Peru. I mean, there, I'm sure there's there's some wealth there, perhaps in the hands of a few. But for the most part, right. this is a this is a country where perhaps wealth hasn't extended all the way. You know, in the in the big cities, out to the countryside, into the mountains. So it would right. be considered a poor country, I would suspect.
1: It is a poor country, and especially the jungle part. Of Peru. But getting back to what I was talking about before I became emotional, we visited with, with the girls at this uh, particular orphanage and I began to bond with the group. And so I told the, the doctor in charge of the group, I said, Look, when we get to Iquitos, I, I want to be part of the group now. I know I started off on the wrong foot, but I want to do something to help these kids. And so when we did arrive and, and the plane landed in, in Iquitos, and it taxied down the ramp, and they opened the door. And the first thing that came to my mind is, somebody please turn the air conditioner on. It's hot here. <laughs> and doing the drive down through Iquitos. I noticed that the poverty was all around. And it reminded me of several photographs I'd seen in a National Geographic years early of various people. And on the left-hand side of the road, it was just poverty. On the right-hand side of the road, I would see kids playing, barefooted kids playing uh, with a soccer ball etched in at least a dozen places. And so we went on into town. And then got ourselves a hotel room and to the trip while we were in Akita's Howard. Every time we went somewhere, the doctor gave me a job of taking care of the medicine and label it and handing it to her when she needed a certain medication. And so I enjoyed that. And and we one particular part of, of Akita's was very poor. And the one little girl that still this, this happened twenty one years ago and mm. still in my mind. Sure. this little girl had she was about two or three years old, and she had fallen into a fire now in this particular neighborhood they didn 't have any stoves, so in order to cook food, they would take some rocks and make a circle in, in the ground and build a little fire that heat their their food to cook their food that way. She had fallen into the fire. Mm and burned her arm and cried for two days because her mother did not have any money for medication. And so she took care of that, and and just it was just an amazing trip. can't even
0: imagine having an injury, not being able to do something about it. I'm curious, poor yes. Happy? Were they happy?
1: You know, Howard, when they had enough to eat, and when they weren't sick, they were the happiest people I've ever seen in my life. They were just happy, good, friendly, happy people, happy-go-lucky. They think about the present. When you live in an area where that's very poor, you mm-hmm. think about the day because death is just around the corner. Gotcha. You don't think long terms. You think about that particular day. And, yeah, but when they were well-fed... And when they had enough to eat and when they weren't desperate for anything, they were really happy.
0: So was this experience going up into the mountain and witnessing this little girl who you can still picture in your mind today? Was this the insightful moment, that epiphany that I need to do something? Or was that just the, the beginning of this journey that you're going on?
1: I think it was subconsciously, Howard. The ones in Iquitos, I just absolutely fell in love with those children there. And I think that subconsciously it was a physical moment. But on the plane ride going, once we finished in Iquitos and we took a plane back to Lima and took a plane back to Atlanta, before as we were about to land in Atlanta, Pierre, my friend, says, Leon, do you think you'll ever come back to Peru? I said, well, you know something, Pierre? I started off on the wrong foot, and I eventually came to terms with the poverty in in, in the country. And I really had a great time. But there's one thing I'm sure of. I will never go back to Peru. Really? Yep.
0: Why did you think you said that?
1: Because I meant it. Because I had money to make. I had not going back to Peru at the time. I had money to make. I had, when I got to my house, I had people, I had to catch up on work. And then about a week later, here comes a voice in the middle of the night says, go to Peru. And when I first heard that voice, I said, well, you know, I, I've already gone. I think maybe this voice is mistaken so that I'll just go ahead and and just ignore it. But after a week of, of listening to this voice, let me say this, this annoying voice, I was annoyed. I was ticked off at whoever this voice was because I had gone to Peru and now it's coming back and telling me I need to go back. And so after about a week, it woke me up at 12 o'clock and I said, well, look, I'm going to have it out with this voice. I'm going to confront it. So I slid out of bed, walked out on the patio and stood looking up at the sky that was Filled with the brightest stars I'd ever seen, and I said, "Look, I don't know who you are, but I know you told me to go to Peru. But damn it, I went. Now leave me alone." Wow! And about a minute or two passed, maybe less, and the voice said, "I told you to go to Peru, but I didn't tell you to come back." That's and not, so, that, that, that's Howard,
0: a burning push moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it ever? Is it ever? And so as a result of that, two days later, I called my friend Pierre and asked him to drive me to the airport. I had two suitcases full of medicine, clothes, and toys. And I only had two suitcases because that was all they would allow me. And I got on a Delta flight and as the plane lifted off and soared up into the sky and circled and headed south for Peru. I had no idea, Howard, what I would do when I went down there. No idea where I would live. No idea what I would do. Not only that, I think I was the only person in my class at Georgia State University who flunked Spanish 102. (laughs)
0: so you had no idea what you're getting yourself into and and so you get down there and you know as i'm reading from your bio i mean you've done some amazing things down there in the daycare center and the milk program girls volleyball team combating pregnancy working with and housing abandoned children and that's pretty phenomenal given that you had no number one you didn't want to go number two you went there without a plan that's that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it is. And once I got into Akita, I, I still had no idea what I would do. I knew that something needed to be done, but the poverty was so severe, Howard, that I felt that someone like that I had tons of money could do something about it. I knew that I had a little bit of money. I had about $200,000 saved up. And I didn't think that I could do a lot, but I knew I had to do something. And so... Eventually, I went to a guide down there and, and talked to him. He spoke English. He said, I know I've got I, just a solution for this problem. So he took me to a little town outside of Akitas called Punchana. And uh, it was the poorest part of Akitas. And he introduced me to the mayor. And the mayor says, well, look, I'll give you a house, let you rent rent free if you start a wawawasi." Now, Howard, a wasi is a Quechua word. wasi means house. Mm-hmm. And what do you think Wawa means?
0: I was going to say water, but I'm sure I'm wrong. But, uh,
1: well, <laughs> close. But Wawa means baby. In other words, a house for babies. Ah, okay. So in, in essence, it was a free daycare center. Gotcha. And I started a free daycare center for 25 children three to six years old, I, I'll never forget the first day. It was scheduled to start at eight o'clock and last to one in the afternoon. So I hired a teacher. She was 55 years old. And in Peru, a teacher has to, re- everybody has to retire at 55. So his teacher mm-hmm. retired at 55, I hired her to run the wasi, a cook and an assistant. And I rented a house, I've got tables, chairs. I was all ready for all those kids that would come. But I figured, you know, the children may show up 10, 15, 20 minutes early. So I think I'll get that 30 minutes early just in case some of the kids showed up. So rather than coming in at 8 o'clock, I came in at 730. And guess what?
0: I know you're going to tell me there was a line out the door.
1: (laughs) 25 kids were standing in line with the parents. Wow. And you know why they were standing in line? Why? They had not eaten that morning. Uh-huh. And the first thing I did at eight o'clock, once it came in, I would have the cook fix them breakfast, they would have breakfast and those kids just devoured that food. I love watching that sitting there and watching them eat. And it, after the uh, they ate breakfast, would have a little time, you'd rest a few minutes, and then the teacher would teach them their ABCs. And she would teach them a song. It's called the Butterfly Song. Mm-hmm. And what this song is about is about a a mother who had made a cake, set it in the kitchen on the table, and opened the window so that uh, air would come in and cool off the cake. And a big old butterfly came in and became nibbling on the cake. <laughs> <laughs> and the kids enjoyed singing that song, and as they sang that, they would take a broom and pretend like they're the mother and chasing that butterfly around so he wouldn't nibble any more cake. And some of the other kids would, would pretend to be butterfly, flapping their arms like butterflies and running from, from the child who was shooing them away. So that was always funny. After that, they would have a little rest area and at about 10 o'clock in the morning, I would have cookies uh, for cookies and milk. And so you just imagine your child who who probably had one meal a day and suddenly you you go into a place, have breakfast at 8, 10 o'clock, you get cookies and, and milk. And then 12 or 1230, you eat again. Those kids were
0: in hog heaven. A question that's starting to bubble up is, you know, having a breakfast and cookies and milk and lunch again here in Chicago and Atlanta, you know, not expensive, not cheap either. That is if you don't go to Starbucks and places like that, with right. all due respect to Starbucks. To keep this up day after day, you said, you, you know, you had whatever the dollar of dollar amount was you had in your bank, I mean, it, it cost money to keep that up. It did plus provide other services. And so talk a little bit about that. How, did, how were you able to sustain this?
1: Well, I, I did it mainly with, with my savings. And I've got a friend, and I'm calling to you from Franklin, North Carolina. She lives in Franklin, North Carolina. She's from Ohio. Her name is Kathy Ratcliffe. And she has been a staunch supporter of my work since I've been down there. As a matter of fact, Eighteen years ago, she came down and visited with me at the Wawawasi, and let me tell you an interesting story about what happened at the Wawawasi when she came down. Actually, forty kids came. Some days there would be more than twenty-five children, and some days thirty-five or forty would show up. And you can't turn them away, Howard. So what you do is you put more water in the soup. And this little matter of fact, she was just a year and a half old, and and she wasn't even old enough to a, a fish. Actually, attend a Wawa and she was crying. And Kathy went over and picked her up, going to soothe her. And she wet all over; <laughs> she peed all over. And, and Kathy still remembers this. This incident was fun.
0: <laughs> Amazing. So this time down there, I mean, many years ago, you know, late nineties, nineteen 1998, 99, starting this. Uh, how did this experience and these stories, the epiphany, how did those begin to translate into to writing of the books? I, I figure we mentioned you wrote a couple of books, so let's talk a little bit about that. But I want to share the story and what was what was that like? What was the first book that you started began to put this down on paper?
1: Well, it was it's a miracle in Peru, and, and I just did it as something to do because a lot of times down in Nikitas, there's no electricity and there's no, sometimes a radio just doesn't work. You know, you don't have any radio and you have to entertain yourself. And so I, a little at a time, I began, I would write little incidents, mainly just to keep myself busy. Eventually became a book and I decided to name it Miracle in Peru, Odyssey of the Reluctant Disciple, a friend who owns a, a, a bookstore In in Atlanta, she told me. She says you should call it the reluctant because you were you were reluctant to go. Exactly. And and uh, I decided to call it the reluctant disciple. And the word disciple is is a strong word because I think that. But you know, when to come come to think about it, twenty one years ago, I gave up everything. I gave up my money, and I decided to. To go help others. And I guess in sort of way, I am a disciple. And let me just just deviate from that just a tad and say that here in Franklin, North Carolina, there are poor children. There are children who need help, but people don't seem to know how to help them. And they need help, and somebody needs to start a, a little program here or in Chicago. Or in Atlanta, or in Los Angeles, everywhere. There's no reason why an American can't do what I did without leaving the country.
0: You know, Leon, that is an interesting point, and somewhere. Back in my immediate history, this, we're talking maybe a, a couple of years ago, I was having a conversation about charities. I know exactly what it is. I was, it was a career coaching client I was working with, and his effort was in the, the southwest side of Chicago, which is not a very nice area of the city, yeah. and, which was exactly what you just said, focus on local. There are people here that need a lot of help whatever that might be, education, food, medicine, access to healthy food, not the, you know, the potato chips and the candy bars and sugar right. water. But there's this mentality of, of feel-good mentality is I'm going to give a donation and that donation goes over to some other country. And that's fine. That's fine. But there's still a huge need here. But the feel-good mentality is, yeah, I'm doing something, but it's not enough.
1: Let me tell you about the article I read years and years ago, written by a well known psychiatrist from Chicago, and he had a woman patient who was depressed. actually, she probably had just had too much money and just wanted to go see a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist he he perceives that and after working with her for about a year or so, he says, "Let me tell you something you're depressed." Let me tell you something that will 100% cure your depression. She said, what is that, doctor? She was all excited. He says, get in your car, drive across the railroad tracks, mm. and find somebody who needs help and help them. And I can tell you from my own experience in Peru that once you help somebody who needs help, it is a wonderful experience. There are people in Chicago, all, even the small towns like Franklin or all over this country, who need help desperately. And there are people who are depressed. You get every person in the United States who's depressed and go across the railroad tracks and find somebody who needs help and help them, and I guarantee you the number of people depressed will be reduced by a large number.
0: Those are wise words and, and a great call to action. It's available to us. It's right here in our backyard. We don't have to travel, you know, that's through right. country. I'm curious, as I kind of shared with you, we tend to go a little bit longer on time because we're almost at the 30-minute mark, but that's okay. It's my show. I can do what I want. I am curious, what is going on now for you back in Peru? You know, what's going on there right now when you do make your way back?
1: Well, I've, I've, financially, I'm at the point where I'm just, to be honest with you, uh, I've spent all my money. Right. And what I, I do have is Social Security, and I have a friend, who helps me with I still have, I don't have all those other programs anymore. Mm-hmm. I've had them, and I'd like to have them again, but that's not possible. But I still have the House for Abandoned Children, which, by the way, is is what the book All Are Precious in His Sight is about. Did you go to Sunday school when you were a kid, Howard? Yes, I
0: did. Different denomination, but I did go to Sunday school.
1: <laughs> yeah, In Sunday school, when I was a kid, there used to be a song called Jesus Loves the Children, All the Children of the World, red and yellow, black and white, and then what's the rest? You have to tell me. All Are Precious in His Sight. Ah, uh, gotcha. So that's the reason I named the book. All Are Precious in His Sight. And the book is about various children that that I take care of in my house for abandoned children. I still have the house for abandoned children, but I only have three children left there, and three of them, and that's where my money goes.
0: I see. I have to share, Leon, I don't know if you're familiar with Maslow's Hierarchy. We we have five. I am not. I am not we have five needs, you know, the first one is like safety needs, esteem needs, family, friends. The first one is we supposedly get when we're just at the door, so to speak. And with self-actualization when we can look back at our life and see what what have we accomplished? What difference have we made? There's an also an old Jewish proverb. It says, you're not obligated to complete the task, but neither are you free to abandon it. And what I, I think about the a great it, saying. Oh, it, it's Tikkun Olam, is what it's called. And I, I have that hanging in my, on my wall. And what I love about your story is you had this epiphany, that voice, that burning bush, God speaking to right. you. And you, you went out, you made a difference in, in the people's lives and made, you know, that, that little girl that you saw, you know, all the people whose lives. You've made a difference, and so looking back, I mean that that's incredible. It's incredible, and you know, being able to share the story in the books and is incredible as well. And it's wonderful to be able to give this kind of a gift to our listeners and to the people who we hope will kind of want to learn more about you and your work. And who knows, maybe somebody's path will want to shift as a result of uh, listening to this conversation.
1: If I could just persuade just one person to not leave the country, but just go on the other side of the tracks and help somebody, then it's worth it.
0: Excellent. And there you have it. To our listeners, you've just been challenged by Senor Leo here. Get up, go walk on the other side of the tracks, drive on it, bike on it but make a difference in people's lives. There's, there's opportunity there right in front of us. Leon, if, if our listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where is the best place for them to go and find you?
1: I'm on LinkedIn, and also I have a website called peruvianjones.com, and I post three days a week. I post various things about Peru, but tomorrow I've got a fascinating, absolutely fascinating article that I'm going to write about. As a matter of fact, I've already written, I'll post it tomorrow, that I think people will find interesting.
0: That's fantastic. And to our listeners, if I want, we're going to provide a link back to the webpage, which includes the blog. I do want to share, Leon's writing is phenomenal. The stories are great. You've got to check this out. Leon, thank you so much for spending time on the Success Insight podcast, sharing this amazing story and the journey that you've taken, sharing a little bit about the books. And we're most definitely going to share links back to the books on Amazon. And I'm actually really anxious to pick up a copy of Miracle in Peru because, you know, just the idea of the firsthand account of being down there and the culture and the experiences. And it makes me want to go to Peru for the first time even more. (laughs) I know I was close, but not close enough. But thank you so much for spending time out of your day with us.
1: Thank you, Howard, and God bless you.
0: Okay, folks, we've just been chatting with Senor Leo. Leon Jones. He is a really just kind of an amazing story of his journey down to Peru and thinking about the difference that he made for the communities down there and gave us a great call to action. If we want to make a difference, you know, we can do that closer to home as well. Do go out to his website, peruvianjones.com. We'll provide a link on our show notes as well. And make sure you, you check out his books on Amazon. We'll provide the link back to books such as Miracle in Peru, Odyssey of the Reluctant Disciple, as well as All Our Precious in His Sight. Really just a great story. And uh, we're so glad uh, Liam Leon was able to spend some time with us today. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day and make a difference. Take care now. We'll see you on the next episode of the Success Insight Podcast. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies, Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.